0: This is Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. New episodes come out every other Friday.
1: I want to thank everyone for coming to this presentation today about the latest updates to public service loan forgiveness and student loans. My name is Amanda Persoon, and I'm the Director of Public Interest Financial Support at Berkeley Law in our financial aid office. And here with us today, we have a panel of experts ready to answer our questions and make PSLF more accessible, easier to understand. It's a very complicated world out there. I did want to issue this caveat right at the beginning that no one here is um, providing you with individualized student loan advice today. You can always reach out to our financial aid office, the Department of Education, your loan servicer if you have these specific questions, but they're going to be answering general questions about the latest updates. I'm gonna be asking questions that I have prepared, but you can also ask any questions that you have at any time using the Q&A feature, and I will read those questions aloud to our panelists. So please do that when you're ready. Um, Here with us today, we have Kat Welbeck from the Student Borrower Protection Center. We have Suzanne Martindale, who is a Berkeley Law alum and is with the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation. And Kyra Taylor, who's also a Berkeley Law alum and is at the National Consumer Law Center. So I'm going to ask our panelists really quickly to just go around and introduce themselves and kind of explain what their organization or their office does, really briefly. Um, Kyra, you're unmuted. If you want to go oh. first, sure. So
0: um, I'm Kyra Taylor, and I am the staff attorney at the National Consumer Law Center. And what that means is I do a variety of types of work. So I do federal advocacy work to improve the student loan system for low income student loan borrowers across the country. I work with legal aid organizations across the country. I work with uh, state agencies um, across the country as well. And then I also uh, provide direct student loan services to low income borrowers here in Massachusetts. Um, Oh, and we publish a student loan law manual. Can't leave that out. Uh, and we have a public-facing uh, website on, on student loan um, options, the studentloanborrowerassistance.org website um, that I also update and blog on.
1: So, Kat,
2: you want to go next? For sure. And I just want to thank you, Amanda, for, um, for having us today and also, super excited because Kira and Susannah, rock stars, so, so excited to join today's panel with them. Um, for everyone, I'm Kat Welbeck, advocacy director and civil rights council at the Student Borrower Protection Center. So we're a nonprofit, um, a national nonprofit. So we're um, working on, I guess, a mix of similarly to <laughs> so here, a mix of advocacy, policy making, and litigation strategy. So our whole goal is to alleviate the burden of student debt for borrowers all across this country. So. I'm really excited to be here and talk more about student debt, but
3: thanks.
2: Thank you, and Suzanne? Hey, good
3: afternoon, everyone. So my name is Suzanne Martindale. I am currently the Senior Deputy Commissioner for Consumer Financial Protection at uh, the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation. We are California's state consumer financial protection agency. So we regulate all manner of financial services companies from banks and credit unions and mortgage companies to debt collectors and payday lenders. But very importantly for today's call, we regulate student loan companies. So we license the major student loan servicers. We also enforce California and federal consumer protection laws that apply to lenders, servicers, debt collectors, private financing instruments, you name it. Um, so, But to be very clear, although the federal government primarily oversees the student loan system, we regulate at the state level the companies that are servicing your loans. Uh, so that means that if you're having a problem with your servicer, not only can you go to them or Department of Ed, uh, you can come to us. You can file a complaint. And I'll be happy to put a link to our website in the chat so that you can do that as well. Uh, also, prior Prior to my coming to this department, I was an advocate working alongside Kat and Kara and other people to lobby for changes to the student loan system to make it uh, to make it better, easier. Um, we know it's complex. I went through it. I got PSLF last year, so ask me anything, right? Um, but we, even for experts like us in this space, we have all found it personally challenging to navigate the system. So all this to say, my opening comment: you're not alone if you're confused, and we are here to do whatever we can to help you.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you all so much. I'm going to jump into some of the questions I prepared. And again, anyone can use that Q&A function at any time. And you're all welcome to just jump in and talk whenever you have an answer to my question. So I'm going to start this off by saying that um, we know there's been a ton of big changes to public service on forgiveness, especially in the past six months to a year. Can someone briefly describe what this new public service on forgiveness waiver is and how it changes public service on forgiveness temporarily? I'm gonna make Suzanne do it if no one does it. Yeah, okay,
3: I can start at a high level The folks can supplement. It. There are many moving parts to it. But essentially, using this current emergency authority, the Department of Education is empowered to waive or just ignore some of the eligibility requirements that typically would apply to someone who's trying to get credit toward PSLF. The way the system normally works, you have to have the right kind of federal loan, you have to be in the right kind of repayment plan, you have to make the right kind of payment amount at the right time, right? All these different things, all while working for a, uh, an eligible employer. So one c- cohort that I th- probably not gonna be most of you on this call, but one cohort of folks that have been shut out over the years um, from PSLF are folks who have older kinds of federal loans that are sort of no longer being offered and are not qualifying loans. Today, if you fill out the FAFSA, you get your federal loan, you're going to be getting a direct loan, a loan from the direct loan program where the Department of Education, the federal government owns the loan and, and you're the borrower. There were older loans that were issued under these defunct programs called federal family education loan. That was when private lenders used to make the loans and the feds guaranteed it. The Perkins loans, some other kind of specialty loans that no longer exist where if you were making payments on those loans didn't count. Um, So now there's an opportunity for folks to consolidate their loans, to convert them into a direct loan and then get past credit for the payments they made on those loans. Also, If you happen to be in the wrong kind of repayment plan or maybe you paid the wrong amount or something like that, they're also going to look back and they'll just give you credit for the time so long as you, going forward, make sure you have a direct loan and you go back and certify, yes, I was working at a qualifying employer, which generally speaking means you worked for some sort of government agency or you worked for A 501c3 nonprofit. Those are the two major categories that are going to definitely be eligible for public service loan forgiveness. There are other types of nonprofits that may or may not qualify where the department has discretion to decide if that employer is eligible, but by and large, the upshot of this is if you take a couple steps um, to certify your employment and do what you got to do to make sure you have the right kind of loans For folks who may have not otherwise gotten credit for some of those past payments, they'll now be able to get credit between if they take certain steps between now and October 31st. So that's kind of the general overview, but there are some other nuances and it can get a little complicated, but that's kind of the basic point of what's happening right now with the PSLF waiver. And if anyone else wants to add or augment, please feel free.
0: Yeah, so I would just jump in because I I know for myself I was very anxious about like oh my god are they going to take away PSLF in the future and could I be grandfathered in and all that stuff. And so the waiver is is really key to people who have already done some form of, of public service and who want to get credit for that time um, towards discharging those pre-existing debts. It's not it's it's time limited, right? So it's going to end in October. And so for folks who are intending on discharging their law school debt with PSLF, they should be watching for the change in regulations that are coming. Um, The department changes its regulations via this thing called a negotiated rulemaking. And Suzanne, you were in the the NEGREG that was negotiating um, the new new regulations. Um, We haven't seen the proposed rules or the final rules yet, but they will be coming out and they will be changing how people will be able to get PSLF in the future. And then Kat, you know, all the details on the waiver. So I will turn it over to you.
2: No, I was going to say those were both like such amazing overviews. And the only thing I was going to add, and this might, you know, take our, (laughs) a slight spin to this conversation because I think both you and Suzanne covered that so wonderfully. Is just to also note that like this change happened because of of borrowers like raising their voices and, and telling the Department of Education that like these are the problems. This is why the, the, the system's broken and we're seeing positive changes from that. So to Kara's point about like, there's still changes to come to see what like the permanent program looks like beyond this one year waiver. Like, um, again, like keep that drumbeat about like caring about student debt, letting the administration know, like, this is a priority for you. Like, this is like a, an issue that deserves continued national attention in the way that it's continued to get this drum like this, like this continued, this continued, um, this continued attention because like that's where we're getting change and so please continue to do that I know that's we're not maybe at the advocacy part of this conversation yet but I just feel like I always got to do that. <laughs> no it's perfect thank you all so much it's a great overview of the waiver
1: and I do want to get into the advocacy portion in a little bit but before we get there um, this new waiver has been in place since October of last year what are we seeing in terms of like how many people have benefited so far? who is benefiting um, and how many more are likely to see changes while the waiver is in place.
2: Uh, I don't know who wants to jump in, but so far I know, at least as of last month, like uh, over hundred thousand people have gotten, I think over like $6 billion of debt canceled. So like, this is really happening. And so also just like another word, I know, um, like to earlier points, Everyone here may not, um, you know, many of you may still be students, or maybe be be earlier in your career, and so may not be at 120 payments yet. But still, let people know because this is happening, and people are getting their debt canceled. And then just one point to people who may not be at 120 payments yet, but might be recent grads. Definitely make sure like you and we'll drop links about like things to take advantage of the waiver, but also see if like possibly maybe you you graduated and you started and you weren't in an IDR plan or maybe you hadn't submit, submitted your PSLF form because maybe you graduated during the payment pause. So you just were like, oh, OK, I'll do that later. Also, there's still ways for people who may not have reached 120 payments to benefit. So also just make sure if you've already started on the path to repayment that you're looking to make sure that maybe you can get credit for payments that may not have otherwise counted towards um, during this waiver period.
0: And I just want to jump in to say, because we're talking to a whole bunch of law students who will probably go on to become advocates on behalf of low-income folks. And I think that the PSLF waiver and our student loan system generally uh, sort of epitomizes why application-based relief Opt-in relief is almost always a problem when you're talking about vulnerable populations. And so I would just ask that you remember this experience and this fear you fear, a feel about uh, being able to obtain PSLF forgiveness when you're thinking about other types of reforms for vulnerable people, because the problems that we see here are the problems that we see repeating over and over and over again um, when relief programs are, are made available to people
1: who need them. Perfect. I think um, what Kira and Kat were just talking about in terms of, like, what do borrowers actually need to do to take advantage of this waiver and to make sure they're set for PSLF? What are the action items the people on this call are thinking about? Because some are current law students, but some have graduated and they're already working in qualifying employment. Like, what exactly are their next steps?
3: Well, I think this is true for anyone, whether or not the waiver is applicable to you. Because remember, the waiver is meant to remove some of the barriers for people that made ineligible payments in the past. So that may not apply to you. You may just be someone who's about to graduate or who's fresh out of school and is in repayment um, and is trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, so the fundamentals are... <laughs> Make sure you have an account on studentaid.gov. Your federal student aid account or FSA account is your portal into all the stuff you got to do to manage your federal student loans. When you you set up that account and log into that account, you can see all your loans, what, what they are, Their repayment status, you can see who your servicer is, and that's where you'll see repayment assistance tools, a PSLF help tool that'll help help you generate a form to certify your employment. And that's the kind of stuff you need to do as a borrower who's trying to manage their federal loans and work toward PSLF. You wanna make sure that you're in you know, an income driven repayment plan. There are one of several, you can do a little widget to kind of figure out which one is the best one for you to kind of estimate your monthly payments based on your current income. Uh, You can also, again, you can use the help tool to generate an employer certification form um, so that you can certify that you're in eligible employment. You're going to need your employer's federal tax ID number. That's something to know. Um, Get that from your HR people um, and find someone who will sign your form. That can also be a challenge. And we've heard that anecdotally from some people. Um, So those are kind of the things you need to do. Manage your, make sure you're managing your loan. Make sure you're enrolled in, uh, you know, the right kind of repayment plan for you. And for PSLF, you need to be in an income driven repayment plan, like income based pay as you earn, revised pays you earn, there, there are several. Uh, and then you need to certify your employment. And it's not required that you certify your employment at any time before applying for forgiveness, but it's recommended you do it every year and or every time you change jobs, because it's hard to go back later and get your past employment certified. Now, you can go in and out of public service, and that's okay. Uh, you, don't, you don't restart the clock. So you can do five years at, in government, do five years at a law firm, and you can go back to government, and you're on year six. You don't; it doesn't restart the clock. You have to accumulate 120 payments. Um, that's something that's very important for people to know. But so, those are the basic things that you need to do, and really should be doing now, um, even though we're still on payment pause. Uh, you can apply for an income-driven repayment plan now. You can try to certify your employment now. The servicers are still there and processing um, and processing forms and applications. So don't need to don't wait on it. Um, I would say, particularly, take advantage of the breathing room you have right now to get. All your paperwork in order. So I would jump
0: in. So we got a question about whether or not you can go in and out of public service. I want to reiterate for myself, I have bumped in and out of public service over my career. I have my loans haven't exploded. Uh, the one thing I would flag for this group is that. Uh, income-based repayment is like a safety net behind PSLF. So like, let's say you get into it and you decide you really like plaintiff side work or, oh gosh, you really like working in the defense bar um, and, and now you're making money. You can stay in many of the income-driven repayment plans and use that sort of as a safety net so that after... 20 years or 25 years, depending on the plan you're in, you'll still obtain cancellation. Um, and in the American Rescue Plan Act, that cancellation is now tax-free. Um, and hopefully that, that uh, uh, act will be repeated um, when, when it ends in uh, 2026. Um, and so those would be two big things I would flag, I will also say I am, a, I am like a bad pslf effort. I have not certified yet. Um, and the risk is always that your employer will disappear. Uh, before becoming a lawyer, I was an elementary school teacher, one of the schools I worked at, now doesn't exist. And I actually cannot find that employer. Um, and so I would just caution you to, to maybe be a little bit better around your paperwork. And the last thing I want to flag is that we've seen big payment history problems, particularly for people who are in $0 repayment plans. Um, and with IDR and PSLF, that six-month grace period after you graduate your program doesn't count towards forgiveness. In PSLF, or IDR. And so if you're working for a nonprofit, you might say, okay, I don't want this grace period to continue. I want to switch into the IDR plan. You may still have a $0 payment, but then at least you can get those months counted
1: towards PSLF cancellation or uh, IDR cancellation. Yeah, someone in the um, chat just asked a question about potential changes to PSLF. And is there any talk of like having that grace period time ever change and count for public service loan forgiveness? Do we know if that's on the table?
3: Uh, So, I mean, at the negotiating table, there was some discussion around whether certain periods of Deferment or forbearance or grace could and should count. I mean, many of us at the table pointed out that sometimes folks are in school and they're also working. Why why aren't they getting credit for that? Uh, it's the point has been made. I've not heard anything back um, from the and we have and we're. we're as someone mentioned, you know, we are awaiting to see the actual proposed rules, which will then be open for public comment. And, you know, anyone who wants to comment can submit a comment to the Federal Register. Um, so that's something to, to and we'll, you know, Amanda, and we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, when we do see the rules that the, the community is aware so that folks just feel like they want to comment, they have the opportunity to do so. So it's been discussed, um, but we don't know which way the department is going to is going to go on that. Um, their kind of default is to say we want to look at people who are in repayment, but they understand that in some cases, cases, um, you know, there may be uh, someone might, for whatever reason, be in a sort of a a sort of payment pause, but still be working and and really should get credit for that. So it's it's on the table. We just don't know the chances of that getting counted. Perfect. Thank you, Suzanne. I have
1: another question about the waiver, and I know I've bothered you about this, Suzanne, multiple times. Um, How long do borrowers need to wait to get their payment counts updated, Um, if they're now eligible for public service loan forgiveness through the waiver and they weren't before, how long is it taking for their application to process? I've heard from people there's this whole thing where if you apply, you initially see like a, a rejection notice and then later on your loans get forgiven. So what's this actual process looking like for people?
2: I don't know who wants to jump into one, but I, um, I would, um, caution for patience. It is taking a while. A lot of people are trying to, um, to submit paperwork through this waiver. And so like, um, it is not uncommon to hear a wait of like a month plus or a month. So like, don't, don't fret if you like, do hear like, you do hear there are longer wait times because that's what we're hearing. But again, people are getting their debt forgiven. So like, still like stick with the process the other thing I'll add is there are some um, there are some hiccups that the department's aware of um, and just before I <laughs> go into what some of them are definitely um, you have an amazing wonderful fabulous resource in Suzanne so like make sure you you let her her know like you let her know you let her office know you let the CFPB know like you're reporting these issues you also like reach out to the ombudsperson at the CF, at the Department of Education when you when you have these issues we have heard that for example, when people consolidate these older fell loans. So again, this might not apply to a lot of people on this call, but for people who consolidate older fell loans, um, and th- so they may have been working for years in public service. They consolidate these older loans into a direct loan to get access to PSLF this waiver. They might see that they have one qualifying payment. That can be very alarming when you said, I've worked in public service for many years. I'm consolidating so I can take advantage and say that I have 120 plus qualifying payments. That is an automatic message that people will get from Fed Loan Servicing. So don't fret. There will be another message that comes after that that actually brings the updated payment count. And so I know like... The There are some glitches that people are getting along the way, but definitely still continue through the process, report them out as you see them, because the more that we hear about these issues, we're able to report back to, you know, um, various sources kind of figure out what's happening and then also kind of troubleshoot or do this, warn people that that might happen so you don't freak out when you first see it, because that is very alarming. Um, I can imagine after consolidating seeing that, but that is happening. So I'll just leave that there.
3: Yeah, and I'll just add just so, for everyone's awareness, you know, the state regulators. And state attorneys general uh, meet um, at least once a month with the U.S. Department of Education directly. I met with them an hour ago. Uh, so, and and as we go through the waiver, um, they are very appreciative of hearing fact patterns back from the states because in some cases, I put in a link into into the chat earlier to their PSLF waiver page. In some areas, they have actually changed their disclosures and their information on the website to clarify in response to some of the borrower stories that we've been lifting up that Amanda. you send to me from Berkeley right so that to make sure that the the information is clear and actually that they have a consistent policy about how they're implementing the waiver so we really really do appreciate hearing um what um these individualized questions because it's actually helping directly inform the department of education's implementation of this waiver so keep them coming. Suzanne I did just get a question in the in the Q&A about
1: someone's specific situation where they think they're eligible, but now it's saying they're not eligible and they won't be eligible for a while. Aside from reaching out to our office, which I definitely encourage people to do so we can take a look at your actual loans and like, what are you seeing in front of you? Where should people head when they're running into these problems and they think they should be eligible, but they're being told they're not? Um, Who do they contact and where do
3: they go? You're muted, Suzanne, if you wanted to respond. I'm usually, so good about that. Okay. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I would say, of course, um, you know, checking checking your account on StudentAid.gov, talking to your servicer. If that doesn't work, uh, certainly as a California borrower, you can file a complaint with us. Um, we also have a relatively new um, ombuds person who takes informal inquiries about student loans. So, say you don't necessarily want to file a formal complaint with us, but you just want to ask a question. Um, we have um, a, a staff person named Selena Damien. She is our um, DFPI's student loan ombudsperson, uh, and she also is happy to answer basic questions and, and, and refer people uh, appropriately, um, whether it's to somewhere else in our department or potentially to resources at, 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 with our community partners. So I can put her email in the chat as well, um, and her information is also accessible from our website. Um, sometimes you got to kind of go to more than one place, unfortunately, just to kind of put the pressure on uh, to get things fixed. But to Kat's point, though, some of this stuff there, it's a little glitchy, but over time, things are getting corrected. And, uh, and the department is also monitoring and periodically auditing what the servicers are doing to try to catch uh, what could be, you know, systemic automated errors that need to be fixed. Um, So just don't be surprised if it's a little bit bumpy. uh, But and also there's nothing stopping you from, you know, resubmitting an ECF to say, no, I think you're wrong. I'm going to try again uh, to certify my employment, for example. Um, So uh, unfortunately, there's no one size fits all answer to this. uh, But between uh, all of us on this call, um, you know, we, we are all. Also, resources for you all, but I'll put in DFPI's ombudsperson's email um, into the chat as well as an additional resource.
1: Awesome. Okay. Um, This is sort of my last waiver specific question, but I know we're talking about negotiated rulemaking and these big changes to PSLF and student loan repayment. What's the possibility that the Department of Education changes things based on how this waiver has gone, as in, like, making the provisions of the waiver something that's permanent or even just how they're counting up payments is a different process during the waiver period than it normally is. Like, is there any chance of them saying it's way easier to do it this way? Let's just change the entire process.
3: I mean,
0: I will just jump in to say We've got a negotiated rulemaking happening. We've got new rules that are going to come out. Um, so I mean, hey, who knows? I, I think in the past, the Department of Education is not great at making things simpler, but I am optimistic that, um, with you know, pointed comments from all of all of us, all of you who are watching, that they will move in the right direction and that they will consider, you know, potentially making some of these changes permanent.
2: And just to follow up on Kira's point, I think one that, and then what Kira said earlier about just like the importance of um, of making making access to relief easy. Like the fact that people have to like opt into relief and making, instead of making things automatic. I think one thing that we've seen in this waiver, the fact that yes, borrowers have to like opt into the fact that like figuring out the waiver, but like there are some parts of the waiver that are supposed to be automatic. Like if you're, you had federal, you had federal work experience, but I think we're seeing that Cutting out some of the barriers to access PSLF, is so when we talk about the benefits of the waiver, I think some things that are great about it are cutting out some of the barriers. And I think to Kira's point, like the the, the possibility of that being a long term solution, because we see like again when you just kind of like cut out barriers, more people access relief. It's, it's mind blowing, big surprise. But um, I think that is like on our wish list. Um, it's something we're advocating for, but also to Kira's point, I think the more people that again, say that the more people that message that the more people that talk about the way that like this is life changing, or um, I think that's when we get get more power to this movement. Um, And then also one quick thing, I'm going to drop a link to a website that our team has about accessing um, PSLF through this waiver. And so um, if you have like more questions about some of the logistics of what that looks like, I just drop that in the chat. And I was
0: also seeing grads ask questions about the payment pause. And so I'm going to jump in on that too, because that's a big, big, big deal. So for folks who have ed held loans, so that's direct loans and some fell loans. So fell, the federal family education loans, like Suzanne was saying before, were discontinued in 2010, but some people still have them. Sometimes they're held by the department of education. Sometimes they're held by a private lender. Um, if you, if your loans are ed held, then you've been in a payment pause and you've had zero interest accrue. So if you were making payments, it was going towards the interest and then eventually to principal. Um, once all your interest was paid off, but also all of these months without payments still count towards PSLF if you, if you were in qualifying employment and also count towards IDR cancellation. Um, so that is huge for a lot of people. Um, so if you're running into problems on that front, that, those, uh, that the months in the payment pause are not counting, those are definite flags to raise with all of us.
1: Thank you. I need to check that we've answered that question. Okay, Um, I want to move. We've talked about negotiated rulemaking a little bit, but Suzanne, Kat, Kira, can you tell us a little bit more about like what other expected changes might be coming up from the negotiated rulemaking process, and how can borrowers prepare for these upcoming changes?
3: Yeah. So this. So this is if you've taken admin law. Negotiated rulemaking is like a footnote in the textbook, like no one ever covers it, but the reality is that there there are a handful of federal agencies that before they can even move forward with publishing a proposed rule, they have to convene a stakeholder committee, it's called a negotiated rulemaking committee, in advance. The meetings are open to the public, uh, and at those meetings, the agency in question, here would be the Department of Education, Produces draft proposals for what regulations could look like the way they do it at Department of Ed. They do issue papers kind of highlighting the issue and saying, what should we do. Uh, And then the committee is composed of different different communities of interest two-year schools, four-year schools, public, private, for-profit, financial aid, accreditors, student borrowers, legal aid, sometimes consumer advocates, state regulators, right? So it's, it's people with different perspectives that are stakeholders and who care about what the department might do to change the regulations. This committee met last fall. There were 12 topics. It was a massive committee. Their PSLF was broken out into two. They're considering a regulation around clarifying eligibility, they're also uh, considering revamping the process so that it's clear the process for applying, and so also on the back end, there's the opportunity to appeal, a request reconsideration if you're denied. Um, in addition, they are considering creating through regulation a new income-driven repayment plan um you know there are a bunch of different repayment plans out there some of them are stat or statutory they are baked into the higher education act some of them the department using its authority under the hea they've created via regulation um so you know uh, pay as you earn and uh, pay as you earn was like an executive order uh, revised pay as you earn that was i negotiated that one in 2015 that's a regulation right but then the original ibr income based that's in the statute so it totally depends but they they are considering creating a new IDR plan. We don't know what it's going to look like. We all pushed for it to be as generous as possible. You know, lower the percentage of income required, raise the threshold for discretionary income, right? I mean, we, we tried everything. We don't know what's going to be and we'll have to see. Um, they also, we did come to consensus around using authority wherever we had it to try to reduce and eliminate interest capitalization, that horrible thing that happens with federal student loans where after a while unpaid interest piles up and they tack it onto your principal, which makes your loan balance grow. It happened to me, it sucks. (laughs) So they are trying to, wherever they feel they have statutory authority, they're going to remove interest capitalization events, you know, like exiting a repayment plan or something like that. So that we're going to see, I think, some areas where they're trying to reduce interest capitalization. Um, and then some other areas that are really more for a population of student borrowers that I would say is not Berkeley Law. There are some you know, debt relief um, regulations for people that went to a predatory vocational program that ripped them off and they're stuck with the debt. So there's kind of some other cleanup um, that they're doing on some of those um, regulations as well. But yeah, there will be potential changes to both PSLF um, and income-driven repayment plan options as well as interest capitalization. And those are all rules that we're going to see rolled out, I think, sometime this year. And we're all waiting to see what happens. I want to link this to
1: how... We've been in this COVID payment pause since March 2020, and it just got extended again last week through October 31st. Um, do these continued extensions? I I saw in the the notice that was put out about it that the Biden administration is potentially using this time to implement more of these potential changes. Is that related? Like, are these continued extensions related to the possibility that borrowers, when the payment pause finally ends, could be entering? an easier to navigate student loan repayment world.
3: I'll say a few brief things and then hand it over to Kyra. So another thing that folks may or may not be aware of, if you've been in repayment, you may have noticed that your loan servicer is changing. That is part of this, uh, I think. Uh, you know, So we, uh, again, we're a state regulator. We license these servicers. We've been working in coordination with other states, the Department of Education, and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which also regulates the servicers directly, to coordinate and monitor the loan servicing transfers that are happening right now because Fed Loan Servicing and a few others are actually ending their contracts with the government they will no longer be federal student loan servicers. So those accounts need to be moved somewhere. That's been a, a grave concern to all of the regulators is to ensure that the transfers happen appropriately, particularly for PSLF borrowers who have so much, have so many additional data points and pieces of paperwork that are associated with their loans, because they're not only trying to repay, but trying to qualify and certify toward PSLF. So we're trying to make sure, and we have examiners that are monitoring transfers in real time. So accounts going from service or A to service or B did hundred percent of the information get transferred, right? Cause they had different IT platforms. I mean, it gets real technical and weird. And so we are monitoring those transfers in real time and correcting problems as we spot them. And that's, and I think the department, earlier today said that about 80% of the Fed loan accounts have been transferred, uh, but there's more to go. And so that's also a problem because historically anyone who was qualifying or working toward PSLF was at Fed loan servicing. Now that servicer is leaving. So all of those people have to go somewhere else. Um, So that is a piece of this puzzle, but there may be some other um, aspects to it that uh, that Kat and Kyra want to speak to. So on the servicer issue, so
0: I know I touched on this before, but we have seen, there's been some like explosive reporting by NPR indicating that in addition to certain when accounts transfer from one servicer to another, that payment histories are lost, et cetera. There's also been just big problems with counting payments, period. Um, across the servicers, it's come up with income driven repayment. There are 4.4 million people who have been in repayment for 20 years or longer, which is crazy because they should have gotten cancellation under the income driven repayment plans. And that cancellation should have been automatic, no application required. And so it brings up this question of like, what's happening here uh, and, and why are things going wrong? I will say when I have requested my own payment history, I have gotten sort of this like Swiss cheesy record um, of my my own use of IDR. And so if I had to do law school over again, I will tell you I would have aggressively kept every record because I assume like many other student loan borrowers that the government would be good at keeping records um, and that they would keep accurate records. And that assumption has has not uh, been true. Um, so I will say that to all of you. If you haven't kept records, now is the time to start. Um, save every email, et cetera. Um, but Amanda, for your original question in terms of like, is, is the system going to be better by the time repayment is turned back on? Um No, (laughs) you know, I hate to be cynical, but no, because there's no way that the department can put all of these new regulations into effect. And also these are incremental changes to a problem, to a system that is, is rife with monumental problems. And so it's, it's like little fixes. And I think it's better, but the department won't be able to guarantee that all the people who, who are eligible for cancellation will obtain it by the time repayment restarts, Um, We have no idea what they're going to do in terms of a new IDR plan. And I would just note for this audience, IDR doesn't account for regional differences in the cost of living. And it doesn't account for if you're a caregiver um, for family members. And it doesn't account for, you know, my husband is a veteran. Like, it doesn't really account for it. You have a spouse who's, who's deploying, um, and you're the one who's got to hold the fort down uh, back stateside, right? Um, so there are lots of life circumstances that the student loan system just doesn't account for, even though those, those uh, instances have big impacts on your finances. Um, so I wish I could be more optimistic. I think we're fighting for changes every day. But the reality is,
1: like, no, it's still going to be pretty crappy. Kat, I see
2: you reacting
1: over there. Do you have
2: to so, add? <laughs> no, I just want to aggressively nod and completely agree. I think, like, literally, like, <laughs> um, Kira just went through the laundry list of things that we say, like, you have to fix these things before payments turn back on. And that's kind of what we've been advocating for. We're like, there's, the, it makes no sense to return people into a system that you know is broken on so many fundamental levels. But to Kira's point, like, we're like, can they actually really even fix this before, like, turning on payments you know no especially even if the if the date's august yeah obviously absolutely not but also to kira's point like these are these are fixes that are going to take time And so like, but it's still, I think something worth asking, I mean, talking about like our federal government, we're thinking about the type of advocacy that we're doing, like, we have actually acknowledged how many places this is broken. The department has acknowledged this, they are working to fix this. And I think, I mean, we do have an administration that is committed to fixing these flaws. But it is crazy to think about all the things that Kira just mentioned, all the things that we're talking about, like, the way right now we have a date to turn on payments before the waiver period is over. So again, thinking about the fact that people are entitled to whether it's PSLF cancellation, IDR cancellation, you know, so many other issues with like servicing abuses, but turn you know, just kind of say, okay, let's turn the payments back on and we'll fix it as we go, but just thinking about I don't really have anything to add to what Suzanne and Kira said, but just thinking about like how unjust it is to say, yeah, keep making payments knowing that we haven't fixed everything. So just something that we always like to push when we're, we're talking about the return to repayment. And we still haven't gotten our debt cancellation, but I'll, I'll hold that for later.
1: (laughs) I'm going to bring it up in like two minutes. I promise. I want to get to a couple, I see some questions in the chat, Um, just sort of like a couple little small specific questions. Um, One is someone asked, like, is there a possibility of paying more than what is a lot, like paying more than the minimum payment to make sure that the principal doesn't explode? I know in the past, there was this huge issue with being in paid ahead status and really having that like mess up your chances of PSLF. How has that changed? Or is there any talk in sort of like allowing people to do that and kind of keep control of their student loan debt while not interfering with PSLF?
3: You know, one of the uh, the usual requirements uh, for PSLF is that you make an on-time payment for the exact amount on your bill, right? Like, so if you go a penny over or a penny lower, wouldn't have qualified. The waiver takes care of that. So if you were, I know folks that were trying to pay more than the the required because they wanted to reduce the interest and then found out that those payments weren't counting because they were in paid ahead status. So the waiver does take care of that. So if that does apply to you, like everything else you were doing right, but you paid the wrong amount, that that should get credited back to you as no during that time period, during the time in which you made those payments, you should be getting credit for that if all the other things you met are, you know, are, are, are correct. Um, so that is something that did also come up in negotiated rulemaking, and it may be addressed in the PSLF regulations going forward. Great.
0: And I would just jump in to say, if you're not in qualifying employment, I mean... I think for me, like graduating from law school, I, I was like, where will I get a job? I don't know, you know. And so one of the strategies I used when I wasn't in um, uh, public interest employment was to say, OK, my I have a huge amount of student loan debt um, and I'm going to try to cover as much of the interest as I possibly can so that. If I have to, if my interest is going to be capitalized for whatever reason, that it won't be too bad when I switch back into to uh, public interest employment. Other people say, you know what, I'm going to reach that 10 years. I don't care what it takes. I, I think it depends on on how you look at your life and what what outcome you think is is most
1: likely, and that's going to be an individual determination for you. Great. Okay. And then another question that came in through the chat, um, I'm sure you all have many opinions about this, but to what extent can you rely on when FedLoan servicing or the new loan servicer tells you that you have a particular number of qualifying payments? Is that like the end-all be-all? Is that correct? Um, how do borrowers actually like keep track of their own payments and compare that with FedLoan servicing's counts?
3: Yeah, that's why I put in the chat, print out your payment history once a year. Um, It can be really hard to get documents from your servicer when they're more than a year old. Whatever's in your online account that you can save and memorialize, I would keep it um, because... I remember trying to get a document, trying to document a period where I was putting in an administrative forbearance or something. And I, but it was from five years ago and they just never got back to me. So, so there's probably a, a month, a month or two that I lost. Um, I could have gotten PSLF a little earlier. Right. So that's, that's, that would be my recommendation in terms of relying. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, there's no great answer here. Uh, but again, the PSLF, um, regulations that they're com- contemplating w- uh, would include a reconsideration process where you kind of appeal if you think that they got it wrong. And then there would be a duty put on the servicer to go back to, and ultimately on the department to go back and double check to see if it's accurate. If you think it's not accurate, file a complaint uh, because you know, if you file a complaint with us, you know we're the consumer financial protection regulator that regulates all the federal loan servicers we have attorneys we have subpoena power i mean we can we can dial we can turn up the heat on these folks if you think that they're not accurately counting your payments um, so that's another plug again for our department as the um, as the california consumer financial protection agency on this nice thank you suzanne okay let's get to this question because it's
1: in the q a and everyone is wondering. Like where does the Biden administration, this Department of Education, um, this Congress, like where do they stand in terms of broad loan cancellation or a set amount of loan cancellation? Where are we in the process? Is it still on the table? Has time passed? People want to know. So we all
0: talk about this all the time. Um, and a lot of our advocacy has to do with with sort of fighting for cancellation, uh, because I think it makes sense on a, on a lot of different fronts, right? We know that student loan debt is a racial justice and gender justice issue. We know that the same inequalities that are present within broader American society are also reflected and perpetuated through our student loan system. Um, so there's that angle. There's the piece that like, there's a whole bunch of borrowers who are in the student loan system that should be eligible for cancellation that either don't know that they should apply for it they don't know that they can apply for it or they've tried to apply and the paperwork has messed them up because it's a really complicated system um and then there's also the political realities which is who wants to be the president that turns on student loan payments right like that has all of these american families um, feel the pressure uh, of losing you know, hundreds of dollars every month, especially when we're facing inflation. And it, it's a very different experience to go to the grocery store these days than it was two years ago. Um, and you're having to do more with less, right? So I think there are a lot of reasons that support cancellation. I think I'm encouraged by, the, by Ron Klain made statements recently saying that Uh, the administration was going to extend the student loan pause until they figured out what to do with cancellation. They haven't said no. And so I also think if they wanted to end the debate, if they didn't want to do it, they would have said that, you know, two years ago, they wouldn't have kept us sort of all waiting with bated breath. Um, And we have midterms coming up, right? So there are like plenty of political reasons to do this. And so that would be my top line thoughts. I am cautiously optimistic.
1: Uh, I would love to get your opinion on this and also just tell us who, like, we're all borrowers in this room, like, what can we do to make our voices heard and let
2: people know that we're interested in cancellation? For sure. I, I would agree with here, like, again, <laughs> cautiously optimistic. And I think, again, for very much so for the same, like, equity and political realities, I think this is a, a decision that a president has to, like, make, and and that he also has the authority to do. And I think that's something, just to be clear, pe- there's still some questions that are, like, people, like, Is this going to be through a congressional act or is this going to be administrative action? I think anyone who has watched Congress like recently, we know nothing is getting through that way. So this really does have to be executive action. And if people like, do we have the authority, the same authority that that we're working through with this payment pause, right? So we have the authority to do this, but um, I think it's really about pushing one, the president to make this happen. So again, I think the more that we keep suit and debt in the conversation, the more that we talk about, again, like, like here said, it's it's really just continuing to reinforce the same, like really reinforcing systemic inequities, right? Tweet about it, talk about it. This is an issue. Like these, this is like the way that we talk about the president delivering on his campaign promises. Also, one thing that I really, really want to push is the importance of broad-based cancellation. And I think again, going back to this earlier point about how do we make sure that relief is as broad as possible and reaches people in need as much as possible. And as much as people are saying, like, let's target it to reach the people who need it the most, that is actually the way that oftentimes people who need it most don't get it. So again, making sure that it's broad-based and making sure that um, I also have thoughts on the amount, but also seeing more research say that actually larger amounts of cancellation help again, cut, again, cut down the racial wealth gap, really cut in to these disparities that we see in student debt again we know women hold more student debt so cutting having a higher level of cancellation also helps more women so really thinking about the ways that like one the amount but two pushing this into the conversation and making sure that like as we get to midterms we're saying this is a priority issue for again 45 million americans
3: yeah the administration's watching twitter so if you're on twitter (laughs) feel free to be active Follow I, this I, with my, my personal capacity only. I follow the Debt Collective.
1: <laughs> awesome. Um, sort of related to this idea of like, when will this payment pause happen? Midterms are coming up. Someone in the Q and asked, "Do we think this will be the last payment pause?" We've heard final quite a number of times. Um, what is the chance? I know we're kind of far out, but what's the chance this gets extended again? it's, it's ending really close to those midterms, which makes me think a little bit that it might get extended. Any insight on that? You know, I love that question because, oh, sorry, Suzanne.
3: Oh, I was just going to say really quickly. Um, Weirdly, weirdly, the Department of Education itself found out about the extension on Twitter. Uh, so sometimes the White House just kind of springs it on the department, apparently, which I <laughs> found was kind of interesting. They did say, though, that they don't think the loan servicing transfers are going to be done before the fall. So that's also a factor, just a little tidbit of information. A department obviously doesn't really opine. Um, it, the White House makes these decisions. That said, all of the pieces that they're trying to implement now and the PSLF waiver going to October 31st, they think that they more or less implied they think there's a non more than non-zero chance it gets moved again but yeah Kyra go ahead
0: I think yeah a hundred percent like I echo all of that um I would just also say that I love that question because I get that question from clients, right? Who uh, maybe dealing with that from an associate degree, a certificate. You know, I see plenty of cosmetology graduates or students um, who are now dealing with that debt. I hear it from PhDs. I have a friend who's a social worker. You know, I have a neighbor whose whose brother um, has medical school debt. My postal, you know, my postal worker asked me these things. So I, I think it's ubiquitous. You are not alone in wondering this and that it's been really confusing for borrowers um, having the administration do this in like three month chunks because you're like, well, how, how do I plan my finances around this? Like how, how do I know what I can afford or can't afford? Um, could this continue indefinitely? Will I get cancellation? Will the payment pause be extended? I think there are so many big questions that, that cause people a lot of anxiety.
2: And one thing that Kara made me think of, and again, in talking about how ubiquitous this issue is, I think like that's a really good point. And one thing we're talking about, again, I, I agree with Suzanne, Twitter, like definitely tweet about it. But also one thing to note, a lot of this pressure too is also, because of midterms is not only like, it's coming from like also Dems up for re-election, right? So broadly, so also making sure that like, you're letting your elected official know, again, this may, this is not going to, debt cancellation is not coming through like unless many many things change that like are different it's it's not coming through congress but there's still pressure that you can put on your elected officials to let them know like because there have been letters from from um from both from both houses right senators and and members of congress saying you have to extend the payment policy you have to cancel the debt because they realize too like this is something that they're hearing in their district so also like you know, tweet at the president, (laughs) tweet at different members of Congress, because they also are feeling this pressure too. And so like the more pressure points we add to this, I think the more that we can, we can get this moving.
1: Perfect. Um, Kira, you mentioned all of these different people that you interact with who have a student loan debt in some way. Someone asked in the Q&A, like, is there a type of financial counselor or student loan advisor for someone who is maybe not in school anymore or isn't working with like an LRAP program like we have, where do they get the help that they need to figure out if they're eligible for PSLF for another type of loan cancellation?
0: So I don't have good answers on that one. I think it's all piecemeal. I think it's really confusing for people when they're choosing to go to school and they're thinking about the amount of debt that they're going to take on. Um, there's no one to really turn to. and, and, I get these questions a lot from veterans who are like, okay, I'm going to reenter the civilian workforce, you know, like where are the quality programs? And I have to say, I don't have one one way of determining what's a quality program versus what's not. I think you should be suspicious of any school school promises that you receive and try to verify them, but it's kind of like, you're kind of going on faith. Um, And I think the same thing is true for when people have exited their program and now they've got to repay the debt that, you know, how do you learn what you're eligible for? I think fortunately for the audience here, like your lawyers, so you've got a leg up to look at the studentaid.gov website, to look at our website, the um, studentloanborrowerassistance.org website, to look at the student loan law manual, to look at the regs, to look at the law. Um, But there aren't a lot of good resources. I mean, a lot of people turn to their student loan servicer and it's a crapshoot whether or not you're going to get good information from them. Um, I think Suzanne's office is now putting out more information. So I think that would be a good place to turn to. Um, but if they're not in California, I think it's really hard.
3: One thing I will add uh, is that you know, we are trying to ramp up our efforts uh, to gather resources for borrowers to be a resource personally, but also to be able to refer people out as appropriate. We have launched, already launched a massive student borrower um, outreach and communications campaign uh, and have had a couple events already um, are generating and developing and continuing to grow our list of community partners at the at the local and state level, a mix of, you know, private sector, nonprofit and government, you know, grassroots organizations that, you know, play a role in in, in empowering and um, helping, you know, people Helping empower their communities um, to to navigate all of these uh, all of these challenges. In addition, um, Governor Newsom's budget uh, includes a proposed ten million dollars to one time appropriation to code to our department to help us not only grow our communications and outreach work ourselves, but to also develop a grant program so that we can give money directly to community-based organizations that that can then increase their capacity to do individualized counseling with borrowers, whether it's through a legal aid office or a credit counseling organization and so forth. So that's, again, forward-facing, hasn't been approved yet. We're actually testifying on it in the state assembly next week. Uh, but if, if that gets approved, then starting July 1... Our department's going to be standing up a grant program so that more offices like Cats and kiras and others can actually take individual clients and actually help them walk through and provide the kind of individualized counseling that you know a government agency really can't do. Um, you know we can respond to formal complaints, but we can't give like legal advice. We, there is a bit of a line there, um, so you know that there is no one size fits all answer. But you know we are trying to do everything we can to um, to try to amplify and and expand the resources that are av- available to people to get individualized um, answers. And counseling. Okay. I think this is going to be my last question before we
1: wrap things up. I've gotten a couple questions in the Q and A about like this waiver we've been talking about, does it automatically apply? Like, is there anything people need to do who think that they've actually done everything? Like they've already submitted PSLF forms to document their employment. They have direct federal student loans and an income driven repayment plan. Is this going to be automatically applied to their loans and are their loan PSLF loan payment
3: counts going to be updated later on. So it's going to depend, you know, if you've already certified your employment going back to a certain amount, and so they know that you've been in a qualifying employer, to the extent they can automatically identify people who should be getting extra credit, they are doing it automatically. Um, But if there's a period of of, of time that you, where you never certified that period of employment, you're going to have to take that step right now. Um, I I will say not to get anyone's hopes up yet, but there are, um, there are, the Department of Education is trying to prepare and design a pathway for states to match data with them to proactively identify people who work in the public sector. At least we are actively trying to make that happen so that someone who currently works in local or state government in California would be automatically identified, but no promises because that's, there's going to be a lot that we need to do to make that happen, but where they can automatically identify, they are giving some people automatic credit, but it's going to depend on the facts and circumstances of what you've submitted to the department of education thus far. Perfect. Okay, I want
1: to be able to wrap this up right at two. So as we're wrapping up, I want to thank you all for sharing your wisdom with everyone who's here. And I want to give you the opportunity to plug like, if you have any upcoming events, or I know you've been sharing um, links in the chat, but if there's anything you want to share with people who are here today, please do so now so they can register
2: and follow you and keep up to date. I'm just going to drop the link to our Forgive My Student debt, um, website again that walks through this waiver process. So if you have more questions about, like, your specific situation, whether it's, like, you have older loans or you just need to submit a PSLF form, it should walk through those processes. Um, and then also, just to let you know, we do host monthly webinars on the PSLF waiver. We don't have the um, the date for our May webinar Um our link set up in the date set. But what I will do is I'll email Amanda once we have that set. But again, it just walks through step by step through that process. So if anyone wants more information about the waiver, I'll share that out. I've been attending your monthly webinars,
1: and they're super helpful. So I definitely encourage everyone to uh, jump on one of those. Um, Kira, do you have anything to plug? So I actually have a different thing to plug. So I wanna say that
0: we have too few student loan advocates in the world um, and too few student loan lawyers. And so because there are law students here, um, I just want to pitch that if you find yourself at a legal aid and you're like man i want to, I want to do student loan log, well, give me a call uh, and we will talk about what resources you need, how to set up a practice, other legal aid attorneys who are doing it really well and serving a large volume of folks, folks who are doing impact litigation in this space, I think there is a lot of really interesting work that's happening, and we need more brilliant minds in the mix. Um, we have a lot of brilliant people in the mix, but we need more. So, um, I, I would I would propose that. And again, if you run into problems, you know, if you if you see something, say something. You have all of our contact information, all of our websites. Please reach out when you see that things are going wrong um, in terms of your own student loan account.
3: And to that end, putting my lecturer hat on uh, to help uh, train up and and. Um help develop the next generation of student borrower advocates since 2019, thanks to the sponsorship of Berkeley's Center for Consumer Law and Economic Justice. I have been teaching a course every spring on student loan law. To my knowledge, it is the only regular course offering at any university on this topic, which is insane to me, but I'm hoping that other people will replicate it in other schools. Um, I've turned it into a pretty successful, you know, one unit credit, no credit, but it gives you the overview of student loan law, higher education act, you know, the consumer protection laws that apply, admin law, federal plan. And all the basic kind of core legal concepts that really come to bear on the student loan landscape. So, um, unless you know, I'm assuming I can hopefully teach it again next spring, it's not the university, it's more like, can I fit it in with on top of my day job? But I've so far been able to do it. Um, So, um, I'm teaching it every spring and um, keep eyes peeled if you're a continuing student because I hopefully will be able to teach again next year. Perfect. Thank you all. I do
1: want to say that Suzanne and I are hosting a PSLF workshop in May as the last part of my demystifying PSLF series. So um, the registration link for that is up on the LRAP website. Someone asked if this presentation will be recorded. It is recorded. I'm going to put that up on the LRAP website as well and send that out later. So I want to thank Kat, Kira, and Suzanne for being here today. It was so um, important to have you here sharing this information, and I hope everyone has a good rest of their day.
0: You've been listening to Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.